0: Folks, welcome back to MMA BJJ and Life. This is the On The Road Edition. Uh, I'm your host, DJ San Marco, coming to you live on the road. Well, coming to you recorded on the road. (laughs) Live recording of me on the road driving from New York to the other sunshine state of which there are two of the most unbelievable in our country, California and Florida. I'm headed to uh, Florida. Moving there, uh, much to the chagrin of... Myself in some ways, and uh, all of my friends at uh, Gracie Baja, and uh, you and the Matt Yoga, um, who have just been so kind to me. But um, you know, and and um, it's it's very sad. So I don't want to I don't want to make myself cry on air. So I won't uh, I won't talk about that right now. Everybody knows how I feel about them. And um, so here we are. It's been quite a while since you heard from me. Um, We were supposed to do a podcast with Felipe Della Monica. I hope that that's forthcoming. We can talk about TJ. We can talk about Rafael Dos Anjos, who is quickly climbing the welterweight ladder. But for now, it's going to be me. And then I expect that within the next week or so, Will Wu, Professor Will Wu from Long Beach State and Gracie Baja, respectively, will be uh, back with us um, to discuss everything. He's just such a great personality and, and a, a great intellect as well. Um, he's everything I'm not. So, uh, so anyway, um, so I I, I hope, uh, well, in fact, he's said that he will um, he will be on and he'll join me to uh, discuss uh, um, all the things in MMA and, and, and uh, possibly even jiu-jitsu. Uh, well, jiu-jitsu last night, Gordon Ryan submits Hollett Gracie in a redux of Metamorphosis which is, you know, ridiculous and foolish and just, you know, at this point, uh, Hollett Gracie's not anywhere near the level of where Gordon Ryan is at and he actually uh, called the minute that he was going to submit him and the type of submission it was going to be and bet on himself and then he pulled it off. So, um, so here we are, uh, MMA BJJ and life on Twitter. On Facebook, DJ San Marco, and uh, of course, DJ San Marco One at Gmail. If you want to email me, again, I'm sorry about the hiatus. A lot of big decisions going on in my life, and uh, I wasn't in a place to really put my thoughts together. And and uh, but I do have a lot of thoughts about MMA, and you're about to hear it now. So without further ado, uh, this is uh, on the road part one. I have a part two scheduled. And there may even be a part three. We'll see what happens. But we're going to get this one off first and get it up on, uh, get it up on SoundCloud and iTunes tonight. Um, so UFC news. Um, there's so many things that happened since last I was on air with you guys. Uh, but let's get to um, something that just cracked in the last few days. Something that hits very close to home uh, due to. Um, due to where I come from and my lineage in, um, in, uh, jiu-jitsu and, uh, you know, in MMA to some extent, because really, um, the first person I ever, well, I, don't, I, I shouldn't say the first person I interviewed, but going to Brazil, training at Kimura, formerly Kimura Novo Yao, now just Kimura, and we'll get to that, um... And meeting Jussier, becoming friends with him, who then introduced me to Barão, and I became friends with him. And Honey Marks and I were very good friends at one time. And Claudia Gadelia eventually, who's a a very good friend. Um, All of that is through my association with Kimura, where I started to, uh, to train. And the mestre there, Jair Lorenzo, who is very... Much a fatherly like figure, very much like that that type of professor who's very positive and and the type of guy who'll put his arm around you and and um, he's he's he really is just a great professor. He reminds me of Coach Luttrell in a lot of ways. He reminds us at GB of uh, Professor Felipe in a lot of ways. Um, he's just a fantastic human being who really just wants the best for his fighters. So. With that, this, this week it was announced by the somebody who I used to have a lot of respect for, not so much anymore, Andre Dede Pedaneras, um, who is Jair's mestre. Um, he is the head of Novo Uniao, uh the offshoot of Brazilian top team years ago that, uh, along with Wendell, Alexandre uh, called it the new union, which is what Novo Uniao means in... Uh, Portuguese, and, um, you know, became famous, not as a great fighter himself, but a fighter nonetheless who fought in the UFC in pride, and then, um, I don't know what his jiu-jitsu accolades are or were, you know, he's out of a certain age where, um, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't, uh, you know, IBJJF worlds and all that stuff yet, so, anyway, um, all that said, um, he decided this week, Andre Perenet, is to cut loose of Kimura and every other affiliate that he had. Um, which makes somebody like Jair and somebody who believed in Dede very sad. To me, who is outside the situation, I actually celebrate this. I actually think this is great. Uh, because I don't think that Dede is a good guy as it relates to his fighters and their interest and their success. I don't believe that he is. He's proven to my satisfaction that he's not, either as a trainer or as a manager in person. Um, For example, um, when Jussier first started training at Novoin he had a very dear friend from his high school, much like LeBron James had, had his manager with somebody from high school that, that he knew uh, or, and still has today. And Jussier had somebody like that, a guy named Mateus Aquino, a guy who's also uh, become a friend of mine, a guy who had a degree in law there in Brazil, a very bright, young, energetic uh, man, great advocate. Um, You could see why he's a lawyer, because he will argue with you to the 10th degree about anything that he feels passionate about. That's the kind of advocate you want. And when Jussier joined and started training at Novoiniel, Dede said, well, uh, I'm your manager, not Mateus. So uh, there's, you know, strike one. The guy has a manager. He has somebody that's his friend. He has somebody that... Um, deserves some remuneration for his efforts that he did for Jussieck coming up. And then Dede says, No, I'm going to be the manager and the coach, and you can't be it. So, if looking from the outside in, there's strike one. But if you were training at Novo Niel and you were a UFC fighter or a Tour fighter, or whatever. Dede is your manager. That's the way it works. And that's bullshit right there. Because now you have the manager, the coach, basically he's everything all in one guy. Why do you want that? Why is that a why is that a thing that you want? So just take that right there and 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 you know sort of put that in your pipe. Then you move along and you see that. Of all the UFC fighters they had, who did they have? They had Jose Aldo. They had... Um, I want to say they had Marlon Sandro, but I think he was actually Bellator. They had Talos Leches. They had Leo Santos. They had Hakron Diaz. They had Jussier. They had Barão. They had Juani at one point, And they had Claudia. Out of all those... Who are the highest-ranked and best fighters in those divisions outside of Jose Aldo? And it's not going to take you very long to figure out. It's the three that are from Kimura. The fourth one, Honey Marks, being, you know, he got taken out by Yoel Romero and then Tiago Santos. And and that's that. But you look at... uh, top four in that academy, three of them are from Jair's academy. Homegrown guys from Natal and gals from Natal that he went there and then got to take credit for their success. When for most of the time, nobody even knew who Jair was outside of your real insiders like Jordan Breen, who's the one who told me about Jair and Jussier and people like that. Jussier wasn't even in the UFC. He was in Talis, uh, he was in Palace Fighting Championships or Palace at the time. So you go tell me what kind of record of success that is when Jair is the one providing most of the talent. And now Jair has an opportunity to move himself to the States because he gets a call from Ryan Bader and the guys... Um, you know, he has a good friend, Gustavo Dantas, which is in the same city as where Power MMA is. And and he says, uh, uh, you know, we would really like you to come and be our head coach at Power MMA. They had previously had Tom Vaughn from Fit HB, and they've had some other guys, and maybe Aaron Simpson, I'm not sure, it was a couple of different guys, um, and none of which that they, they really liked, according to their, their uh, strength and conditioning guy told me, Jair is the first guy that like c b Dalloway and his partner Ryan Bader really look at and say, "You know what like this is the guy this is this is the guy you know, we we really like the way he does his business, and that's Jair that doesn't surprise me in the least because even though he had very limited English but he was a quick study in English when he decided that he wanted to learn it, he learned it very quickly. that doesn't surprise me because um, he is He doesn't act like an intellectual, but he is. And Jair went up there and impressed them because there is no language that's correct for the success that somebody like Jair brings to a team. You know, there's no specific language. It's just you can relate to people and people want to learn from you and you have something to teach them or you're missing one of those things. Either you can teach, but you don't know a lot or you know a lot, but you're not good at teaching, or you're not relatable. One of those one of those things is missing with a lot of people, but not Jair has all those things. And what he doesn't know, he wants to learn. And the difference between Jair and Dede, as you guys will see, is that when Claudia said, "I want to go start training in Albuquerque with Chris Luttrell," Jair said, "Hey, you know, go for it. I mean, if you feel like." this is going to play a part in your success, then I encourage you to go. Then you have uh, Henan going, you know what? I went and did a training session at ATT in Florida, and I feel like this is the place. This is where I feel at home. And so he went. And um, Jair blessed him and said, you know, go for it, man. You know, go, go and improve. If you think this is going to improve you, You're still my son. You're still my guy. Go for it. And the same thing happened now that is planning on when he makes his return to the U.S., he's planning on bringing his family, and he's going to go to ATT. So, Dede is the complete opposite from that. Dede is, no, if you're not with me, then you're no good, and you're a bad person, and... I don't want. I don't want to associate with you. Now that Hanan's not getting, uh, he's not. Excuse me. He's not getting ten percent of Hanan's money. Now he wants to. Uh, he doesn't want anything to do with you know with Hanan. Now he wants to kick Kimura and a couple of other affiliates that were named in one of the pieces. I don't know if it was Guillermo Cruz. One of the pieces named the three or four associations that they had that were then removed. from from Novo and Yao's association, which again, I think this is a good thing. But Jair, being the type of man that he is and the faith that he had in Dede is probably hurt by that. He would probably rather leave than be told you need to leave. But that's the kind of guy that Dede is. If I were Dede, I would want to keep Jair close because Maybe I could send guys up to, uh, up to Power MMA and maybe they could be wrestling with Ryan Bader or something like that. Maybe there's training going on there at Power MMA. I would want to come up and stay there if I were Dede and see what it's like and uh, see if maybe my guys could gain something by this association. But no, that's not the way he is. If you're not training here and representing just Novo Niao, I don't want you. Well, guess what? This is not nineteen seventy-five Jiu-Jitsu Academy in Brazil. This is twenty fucking seventeen MMA in the UFC and Bellator, and probably uh, Invicta and these other other uh, promotions. And that and people do cross train and train at different gyms and go to different places to get specific things. And now you have one idiot out there saying, no, if you're not representing me, I don't want you here. How are you gonna get better? Has Jose gotten any better? Has Jose had a a great game plan? Yeah, okay, he beat Frankie Edgar, but that was on talent. That wasn't on something specific techniques that he learned that he got better at. He didn't even leg kick. Then he went in and tried to do the no leg kick game plan against Max Holloway and then made two different excuses inside of a week and a half as to why Jose didn't kick. First it was a stance thing, then it was an injury thing, then it was another injury thing, and it's all bullshit. It's all just him making up stories. And to top it all off now, you kick out the best thing that's ever happened to Nobuniao other than Jose Aldo just, you know, walking through your freaking doors. The best thing that ever happened in Novinal is Henan, Jussier, and Claudia. And, you know, Claudia moving from Rio up there full-time, you know, to try to make her career. And now, yeah, you know, we don't need those guys anymore. Yeah? Well, good luck. You know, Ketlin Vieira looks really good. Um, I doubt you're going to make her a lot better. Um, You haven't made anybody else a lot better. Certainly didn't make make Hanan a lot better. He went and fought TJ Dillashaw, lost badly, and then for his troubles, when you had him come back and your shitty weight cuts, he lost worse the second time. And by the way, of UFC trainers, there's one person, you know, of high-level trainers, there's one person I can think of that's had somebody dive a weight cut in his own promotion, and that's Dede Pedineiras, who had a late replacement, one of his own fighters, to fight in Chuto, Brazil, an organization that he owns, that this new facility that he's built is now going to house the audiences for Chuto, Brazil, and it's also going to be the site of Novoinão, apparently, I guess, which I guess is good for those guys. Anything bigger than the one tiny room they trained in for years, which is bullshit with the amount of money he was making. But be that as it may, he owns Academy of Upper, and Novinyau was this little room. So venture upstairs and get your ass kicked. I guess I don't know if you're wanting to get into MMA, but uh, the point is, is Dedede uh, had one of his own fighters that was going to fight in his own promotion and it was on a week's notice. Did you know what the guy's weight was before you approved that he could be a late replacement for a guy? Were you following his weight cut? Were you following, checking his weight, going, ah, you know, I don't know. Were you, were you in, in communication with the young man to see whether or not he was progressing in a safe manner or just tell him, all right, have at it, be ready to fight on Saturday night and then the guy dies I'm not saying it's 100% Dede's fault but how much did he put into tracking what this fighter's weight was at like actually watching him weigh in seeing what his diet was knowing who was controlling his diet how he planned to get down on weight and you know what we both know that that shit didn't happen we both know that that did not happen it was, well, you know what? Good luck. We'll see you on Saturday night. And then you didn't see him on Saturday night because he died trying to cut 30 pounds or whatever it was probably the wrong way. Probably dehydrated himself and, and, um, went to the hospital and died up oh, to the parents. Sorry. Yeah, that's a bummer. So I won't be labored anymore, but, uh, I'm not a big fan of Novinial based on. Uh, the experiences that my friends have had there. So it's a lot of it is third person. I've met Dede a couple of times. I thought that he was somebody that would be a hero-like figure to me as he was to Jair and many, many other people. I went to UFCs and heard a lot of people call him Mestre and, you know, he praise upon him. And I bought into it just like everybody else. And then I found out watching Juicier's weight cut and watching uh, the preparation that, uh, that he had that um, he really wasn't deserving of that kind of uh, praise and title. That really um, he was somebody who appeared to me far more self-interested than interested in the welfare of the fighter and the uh, success of the fighter. Only to the extent of how the, excess, the success of the fighter played into his particular bank account. And even Claudia told me as soon as she'd win a fight, the next thing he's on the phone. Hey, where's the money? Where's the money? Where's the money? So, um, you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, let us move on. That's about enough of that. Uh, once again, we are MMA BJJ in life and I'm your host, DJ San Marco. Um, not with my, uh, wonderful co-host Willie Wu, the professor from Long Beach State and, uh, Another guy who comes on here who I, uh, I really love is uh, Brent Littell, our professor from Gracie Baja, the black belt under Felipe Delmonica and Eddie Bravo, uh, the only man that holds that distinction and a person of enormous, enormous knowledge um, uh, and somebody who I hold in very, very high regard that um, you can't possibly roll with him without learning something, and also he teaches class, uh, a wonderful class as well. And one day he will probably have his own academy, at least one or two. Um, it's just uh, the logistics of how many Gracie Bajas there are around here that made made it very difficult for him to open one, uh, because there there needed to be um, there needed to be um, um, space between them, and and where he would want to open one up. It just the space isn't there right now. There's so many in Southern Cal. Uh, so let's go on. Let's move on to uh, the McGregorization of the UFC and the business model and something I've wanted to talk to you guys about for quite a long period of time. And uh, this is as good an opportunity as any. And uh, we have talked about it a little bit, but I'm going to point out um, a couple things that have happened recently that you guys may or may not be aware of. And the genesis of this um came into the public square when Mark Ratner who is the former Nevada State Athletic Commission official who was a hired gun uh, by the UFC just like Jeff Nowitzki is was hired from USADA to the UFC uh, similarly Mark Ratner was uh, hired on as a regulatory person, as a regulatory expert for the UFC to give them some legitimacy with regard to them trying to get into different states like New York, he was integral in that, and a number of other places, countries, that they actually have a real sanctioning official that is on their their payroll and their staff. So Mr. Ratner uh, goes before Congress, and as you would imagine, Congress uh, is trying to decide whether to extend the Ali Act to MMA, which would enable fighters that you would not be able to hold down a fighter from fighting with whomever he or she wants to fight with, whether it be Invicta and the UFC, or if they want to uh, fight a fight in Bellator, or wherever they want to fight, they can go and fight and earn a living, which is what the Ali Act is, is that you can, as a promoter, hold down that fighter from... Signing a deal and fighting with whomever they want. They are a prize fighter fighting for prizes. Um, and they should, as an independent contractor and not an employee, be able to do that. So Mark Ratner goes before Mark Wayne Mullen, who has fought uh, in MMA himself, which is great that we have a congressman that's fought MMA, and says, and uh, he opens the questioning with, why do you think that the UFC should not? be under the Ali Act. And he said, we're different than boxing. That's why, says Mark Ratner. Well, how? Well, because you see, we have rankings. We're more like a sport, like a league. And we go by rankings and boxing, you know, is different. You know, they don't they don't necessarily go by that. To which Mark Wayne Mullen goes, oh, really? Okay. So tell me how Dan Henderson a retiring Dan Henderson gets a shot at the title as a number 10 ranked fighter when was were number 9 8 7 6 5 4 3 2 and 1 all asked to take the fight and and denied it or not and he said oh well it was a natural rematch okay but you just said it was by that you guys set up matches by rankings okay All right, uh, let's go to number two. George St. Pierre is gone from uh, the UFC for four years, never fought at middleweight, and he comes back and gets a shot at the title against Michael Bisping. Again, did did all these other fighters that are ranked 10 through one turn it down, and so George had to take the fight? Well, no, but he's a pound-for-pound legend. Oh, okay. Well, still, it doesn't... You know, it's not sounding like... Uh, you know, to me, it's not sounding like he's... Uh, um, like they're using rankings to make these matches. How about Conor McGregor? Never fought at lightweight in the UFC. Says he wants to fight for a title. Gets a shot at the title. What happened to Khabib and other other fighters that were... uh that, that 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 could have been in line for that shot, but instead it could have you know it could have been Tony Ferguson. You know it should have been Khabib. You know no no questions asked at that point. But it ended up going to Conor McGregor, who now having never fought at that weight class is now the title holder, winning against a guy who probably wasn't the best in the division. But that's beside the point. He held the belt. Uh, but to me, it's significant because. McGregor goes around calling himself the champ, and I guess he could say that that he is the de facto champ. But really, I mean, he hasn't really beaten a lot of the best guys in the division, an Edson Barbosa, um, a Ferguson, obviously a Khabib. He hasn't beaten a lot of the, the, the heavy hitters that are in that division. So I think there's a lot to live up to there uh, in terms of McGregor. But he makes... Uh, Mark Wayne Mullen's point. And my point in telling you all, this is the McGregorization of the UFC. Now you you have people talking their way in moments. They're talking their way into fights and, and title shots where they may have absolutely no business being. Yeah? Um, some of these people have no business getting a shot. Um, St. Pierre had no business getting shot against Michael Bisping, though I enjoyed the fight. And thought it was a really good match. And that's beside the point also. So, so there's a lot wrong with the UFC. They're trying to pay back the uh, $4 million, $4.2 billion note that they have out on this thing. And you'll see there are things like they... I want to say they're asking $450 million over 10 years for the rights to broadcast UFC to these other... Networks. I think that's what Larry Pepe reported, my friend on Pro MMA Radio. I want to say that was the number, but you guys can, can actually check that. That, um, that they are, with descending ratings, descending pay-per-views, the lowest Ultimate Fighter ratings in history, and they want to, to get a TV deal, of which nobody's taking, at 450 mil. So I don't know how the hell that's going to happen. I don't see how that could possibly be a thing. Uh, somebody up there does, but I don't I don't see it. So what is wrong with what the UFC is doing? To me, it's quite obvious. If I go back to 1999 when I started watching the UFC, so it was a good, you know, what is that, six years after it started, and I really was getting into it. One of the fascinating things as I was in... Ground school, what they call ground school, which you go to before flight school. I was in a ground school over in uh, uh, near Lawton, Oklahoma, and um, and uh, we were watching UFCs that we would rent from the local video store there. And um, I'm trying to think of the name. It was near Lawton. Now I, I don't know why I insist on remembering the name, but it was a little town um, in Oklahoma where uh, they have the performance calculation school for flight engineer guys like i was so anyway um so watching it one of the cool things about it is that every videotape you would rent in successive order from ufc one and on you would find that there were new names that you never heard of that were really good fighters you're like wow i never heard of that guy okay and then you get another tape and you're looking at it, and you don't know the names, but as the sports gaining in popularity, new people are joining into it, every single UFC, and you're like, I don't know, never heard of that guy, and it's just better and better and better fighters, or I should say, every time, though I didn't know the fighter, there were good fights, and actually, if we could bring that back to today, and start watching the UFC and saying, okay, I may not know who these guys are, but it's great, it's great MMA, and that's all I care about. And that's something that we really should carry over to the, you know, if you were to juxtapose that against, you know, bloody elbows, care, don't care, previews. You know, if they don't, we don't know the fighter, they don't care. But actually, you can care just by seeing how great, you know, just by watching a no-name fighter and going, wow, this guy's amazing. That's how I learned about Khabib Nurmagomedov. Nobody ever heard of him. That's how we all learned about Lando Venata when we saw him fight Tony Ferguson. Nobody ever heard of him. And then all of a sudden, this guy was amazing in the cage with his skills. So you don't necessarily have to know a fighter's name in order to be impressed with what they're doing and, be, and enjoy it. That said, the UFC, it's incumbent upon the UFC now to let us know who these fighters are how many people know Ferguson, Tony Ferguson? What do we want to know about him? Well, all of us know about him because we live in SoCal and shoot, he lives, you know, within driving distance of of our Gracie Baja, of Irvine. He lives like in Costa Mesa or Newport Beach or something. So and trains out there when he's not at Big Bear torturing himself up there. But the point is, is it's not necessary that well, let me rephrase that. It is necessary that the UFC have these little 24-7s between before each pay-per-view and to a lesser degree or a lower degree before each Fox card that's going to be on free television. Let us know who these people are. Get us invested in them. Because if you think, UFC, that you are going to make this note and you are going to pay off this TV deal on the back of Conor McGregor, you are sadly fucking mistaken. Gratuitous use of foul language there. You are not going to pay off this loan on the back of Conor McGregor. It's not going to happen. Ronda Rousey probably won't be back. And if he is back, if if she does come back, She probably won't be back for very long. So I think everybody should consider that that is not a business model. The, hey, let's throw together a card with these super fights and with these BS. I called another guy out on Twitter matchup and think that that is going to produce huge revenues You need to build this sport off of rankings, and the rankings are going to be everything under the DJ model of what the UFC could be and needs to be and should be. The rankings, where you are very invested and know the name of every fighter in that top 10, and the way that that fighter gets a shot at the title is by being in their ranking and you don't say well that's not exciting you fucking make it exciting you make it exciting don't tell me it's not exciting whoever that fighter is male, female, whatever I don't care you make that fight exciting by telling people who that person is by having writers that will listen to a person talk and be interviewed and create a story around who that person is and therefore why we want to see that person. That's the ticket. It's not about, uh, it's not about a fighter uh, just having to go in there and blast somebody uh, and have a highlight reel Edson Barbosa knockout, which, by the way, he's already had, and he's still not in a, in a fight with uh, like somebody like Conor McGregor. It would have been a, a, a brilliant fight for, uh, for Barbosa but instead of him going and fighting for the title before all this. But that is the way that you want to build fighters, is by telling their story, getting us invested in who they are, just like they do in the Olympics. They don't have a lot of time in the Olympics to tell you who Eddie the Eagle was, the British skier, you know, or Helen Maroulis, the wrestler from Huntington Beach, you know, or uh, or um, the young lady from uh, New Jersey, the fencer, uh, the Muslim girl who wears the the uh, um, the headscarf and stuff. I can't remember her name, so forgive me Uh, or Simone Biles. Most of the country did not know who Simone Biles was until the Olympics. And then we all got invested in Simone Biles. The UFC needs to take their, the time and the air time that they have and produce these things. You know, Frank and Lorenzo started to do this stuff. They actually, years ago, um, and I'm going back to 2013, when Barao fought Uriah Faber, a very favorable matchup for him. So if you want to get into Barao and all that sort of thing and why he's not winning now, guys like Dillashaw, guys like Cruz, guys like Cody are not going to be favorable matchups for Barao, but somebody like uh, Faber was a, a limited fighter, a fighter with not really good striking, who was basically a grappler, who didn't have a good wrestling for MMA type of a game. Anyway, I digress. Um... That is the model of getting the nation, the, the fighting nation, the, the, the UFC nation, if you will, invested in how the rankings, who is in the top 10, and how they're climbing the ladder to get to number one. Kind of like they're doing with Maz Vidal and Wonderboy. This is good. This is a good thing. And, and actually, Colby Covington, you know, you want to talk about it, and we're going to get into this. Nathan Diaz, people are are pointing at Nathan Diaz somebody who I love watch fighting I absolutely adore the Diaz brothers I adore the Diaz brothers and their fighting style and everything about the Diaz brothers, can't get enough of them and here you want to tell me that uh, he deserves to fight Tyron Woodley and Woodley's asking for that fight, this is the stupidest dumbest Most ridiculous thing I ever heard. And that type of matchmaking, should they do it, will see the undoing of the UFC. It will. Because you pay Nathan Diaz and his trainer, Richard, uh, I can't remember what his name is now, Um, Richard Perez, his boxing trainer, says that Nathan deserves $15 million to fight. Are you kidding me? If the UFC pays him that money, that's what I mean when I say this will see the UFC's demise should they ever ever put together a fight where they're paying connor 25 million and they're paying nate diaz 15 million you know the business has gone down the toilet you can just you can just say cash in the chips and say it's over boys because that is not going to get you there that is not going to do it for the ufc um not that i don 't think the fighters deserve more money, because I believe that every single fighter on the roster from number one hundred to number one um, they all deserve more money and i and I think there is a huge inequity between the champion and the number one contender, and there should not be and that 's something that the UFC should um, should have you know maybe even like fixed pricing in there so you don't have the inequities that you have, so you don 't have. Amanda Nunes trying to pull out because she knows that her salary is gonna be cut in half if she loses to Valerie Shevchenko. So I don't believe there should be that much of a difference between the number one contender and the champion. And then and I don't and then further a little further, I don't think there should be that much of a difference between the number two and the number one. That way you have people fighting to fight instead of fighting, not fighting to preserve what they have. Which goes to marketing, power, and all that. And also, the rankings, again. You know, Valerie should be going around saying, I'm the number one contender. That should mean something. That should be something that's all over all of their advertising, the ranking of the fighter. And that's why they're in that fight. Not because they got a wheel kick knockout of someone. They might have had a boring decision. But that's okay. That's life. But they won, Demian Maya. Not that exciting, but very effective. He deserves to be ranked where he was ranked. You know, obviously he just got beat down by Colby Covington, so Covington actually sh- probably should be the next person to fight Tyron Woodley. But Tyron Woodley doesn't want it because it's a name. I get it. He wants to cash out. He's 35 years old. He knows he's not going to be around that much longer. Um, he's going to get in. He's in TV. And, and obviously he's in movies, he's an actor now, he's got a SAG card, um, he doesn't want to spend the time fighting people that he doesn't like, doesn't respect, doesn't think he's going to earn him a lot of money. But the bottom line is, as is much of a jackass as Colby Covington is, the, where, the people that he's beat, he deserves to be in there. You know, with Wonder Boy, you know, Wonderboy actually deserves to get back a shot at the title too, you know? He belongs in there. Um, they probably could give him one more fight, and then he'd be back there with the champion, whether that be Woodley or Covington. And I don't think Covington is going to do well, despite all his trash talk. I don't think he'll do well against Tyron Woodley. I don't think he'll take him down. I don't think he'll hold him down. And on the feet, I don't think he's going to do very well with Tyron Woodley. He gets hit by him, he's going to he's going to be going to bed. So, but he'll you know. He deserves to be there whether Tyron Woodley wants it or not, because he just beat Damian Maya, who was a top, you know, probably a number two ranked fighter. If not number one, I actually need to look at welterweight. But that, folks, needs to be the new business model of the UFC. That's the way to success right there. If you are trying to throw together cards where you're going to just Look for exciting guy A against exciting guy B, exciting girl A against exciting girl B, and you're going to try to do it that way and just let people leapfrog over people. Nobody's going to buy this thing. This thing is not going to have any legitimacy to it at all. It's got to be a meritocracy so people see it like what the Fertitas envisioned the NFL fighting. That's what it should be. And if... Patrick Whitesell and Ari Emanuel think they're just going to get in and try to get out you know, or, or maybe get in and throw together money fights and that's going to be the way to them to pay off their note it's not, it's, it's not working and they just saw you just did a card in Madison Square Garden and there was a lot less buzz for that than there was the first time as you would expect and that's why you can't bank on stuff like that you have to bank on people actually doing a lot of shit and winning fights to get where they have to go. And then you do the hard work of, 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 of telling people who that, that person is. And I want to tell you something. I I, meant, I started to tell you something about Baral that I learned and about Jose Aldo. And then I, I got off, forgive me that I, I got off the subject of it. But I'm going to, uh, I'm going to tell you now. When I went to New Jersey to watch that fight where Baral fought Faber and Ricardo Lamas fought Jose Aldo, and both the Novo Neal guys won, and again, don't go crazy about that day. These are very, very favorable matchups. These, are, these were fighters who were then at a level to where the competition had not yet risen. Now you look at them and say the competition has risen past them. And that's, that's a problem. So, there was a biographer there, a uh, guy who was a filmmaker, um, hired by the UFC. I don't remember his name. He spoke Portuguese fluently. He was American. I think his wife was Brazilian. And I had dinner with José Aldo, and Dede, and Jair, and Barão, and uh, Pedro Hizo was there. And so, being the two Americans at the table was myself and this filmmaker... And we got to talk about what what he was doing, and he said, "Well, I've been following around. I've been following around um, for months at a time, documenting the life of Barao and documenting the life of Jose Aldo." So the UFC spent at that time, the Fertitas brothers' UFC, spent a shit ton of money on documenting the life of somebody that they thought was maybe the pound-for-pound pound best in the sport in Hinnan Barao. And I guess for a time, he was. You know, I mean, they said he was. He had the record to prove it. He had won 30-something fights in a row. He is a sure-fire Hall of Famer, is Hinnan Barao. And so you can say, yeah, okay, um, he was that. But the UFC saw fit to spend the money to document his life. For what purpose that was, I will never know. Um, And I don't know if I'll ever get to be around somebody like Sean Shelby and ask him. And uh, I've been in the presence of Dana White, though I've never met him. I have met Sean Shelby a couple of times. Um, But if I have the opportunity, I I would ask him, why did they do that documentation? Why did they spend the money to have a photographer live in Natal? Like, literally, I think he even might have stayed at Baral's house to document his life. Which is crazy, because if you get to know Baral, I mean, when he's not in training, he's a very, you know, go eat fast food kind of, or at least was. I don't think he's not now. But he was a very go eat fast food, kind of enjoy life, uh, go to the beach, um, you know, go train, you know, do some light training kind of a guy. He's not the kind of guy who's killing it all year round. But be, regardless of what it, what he did, the UFC saw fit at that time to spend the money to document his life and what he was doing. What we don't know is why... Um, what we don't know is what... Um, the uh, UFC's plan was for, for for that footage and why they're not spending the money today to just do snippets to do to tell people's story and start doing it, you know, a week out from that fight. So as soon as one card's over, you're you're pumping up those rankings again and you're pumping up who's going to be on the main event of the next card, no matter who it is. No matter whether it's As long as it's on a Fox channel or any kind of TV channel, I could see why, you know, maybe even to a, you know, if if it's not going to be on Fox, then you're not going to put something on TV unless you're going to, you want to spend the money to put something on Fox, it's actually going to appear on Fight Pass. I don't know how many subscribers they have to Fight Pass. I could see why they might not want to do that. But at least if it's going to be on the new FXX channel or Fox Sports 1 or, or whatever, Because I think Fox Sports Two isn't around. I think it's FXX, is what it is. But whatever the case may be, whatever channels they're on, because they're they're searching for a new TV deal, which ends in here in 2018, um, I think that they ought to. uh, They're going to have to lower their price. I think significantly. Amazon's one of the people they're pitching it to. They're going to have to uh, lower their price down because Amazon is not going to pay network prices to put something on their on their uh, streaming. Um, on their streaming uh, website. So because Amazon does not yet have a channel yet, I say, who knows. So these are the kinds of things that are that the UFC needs to do to make this a viable product that is going to earn them back the money to pay off their debt for the purchase of the business. If you are going to try to quick fix it, hoping that a Ronda Rousey is going to appear, hoping that a Lesnar is going to appear. Even a St. Pierre um, is not going to come back and save you. It's just not going to happen. And McGregor, now you put, as we've illustrated on umpteenth podcast before this one, McGregor negotiated his way into a position with the UFC where he can ask for either co-promotion rights or a piece of the company. And you're not going to laugh at him. Because if you laugh at him, you're laughing at him to your own detriment. Because you put him in that position by giving him everything that he wanted, which they should not have done. And I would not have done. He would never have fought Eddie Alvarez were it my decision. Because you would not want to bestow the power on him that if he won, that he would hold two belts... And the, the 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 star power that he had, and how it was certain to grow by beating Eddie Alvarez at UFC 205, it's just something that you could not bear. You you could not bear that, and they can't. They are now not in control. I agree with them letting bo- him box Floyd Mayweather because they got money out of it, and they needed money, and they deserve. They they earned that. They built a star, or they helped the star. Uh, be born, and they deserve to get um, some of the money uh, back that that, that that they earned. So I don't have a problem that they let him fly, fight Floyd Um And the fact that he lost is pretty much meaningless to me. He lost to a guy who's much better at the one thing that he was trying to learn on the fly. It's no big deal. Um, but, but this here, the biggest mistake that he made that they made was letting him fight it to a five, letting him earn that lightweight title belt. And now there's nothing that they can say to him. He can do what he wants. How, how do they, how do they fix that? How do you fix it when you, when you put someone in a position to do whatever he feels like doing and he can ask a price and he can sit out and you feel like you need to get him back in to pay off your bills you got to get him back in there. How do you do that? So, that's how I believe and I'm, you know, you can take what I think with a grain of salt. But them trying to put together money fight after money fight after money fight after money fight I think is going to is going to prove a fruitless endeavor that will not build the brand of the UFC. We don't know where it's going. It's like a car and the steering wheel is disconnected from the linkage, the steering linkage up front, and the car is just veering all over the place and we don't know where it's going. We don't know what matchup's coming next. We don't know where ranked fighters are going to go and who's going to fight who. So it's it's a mess, you know? They need to do kind of like, I mean, the welterweight division looks... Pretty stable. The 115-pound weight class looks pretty stable, and I believe they need to do the rest of the uh, weight classes like that. I think that is the direction that they're going to go and build interest when people can start talking around the water cooler about number one's fighting number two, number six is fighting number five, and all that. As much as I don't like the matchup of... Edson Barbosa against Khabib. And I don't know where Edson Barbosa is ranked, if he's number three or whatever, what ranking he has. I need to look at it. Um, It's pretty close. He's pretty close to being in a position where he would be ranked high enough to fight Khabib. It's not going to go well. He's going to get taken apart by Khabib. He's going to get taken down. He's going to get grounded and pounded out or submitted it's going to be very ugly um, Khabib tends to not punch himself out when he's in um, when he's got you on the bottom he's in top position so it ends up being a long grinding affair that doesn't feel very good because eventually he's going to look for you to give up like like that top side Kimura like he does from S mount or whatever he's going to look for something like that and, and um, it's going to be miserable for uh it's going to be miserable for Khabib uh, for uh, for Edson. So, um, but that actually might be a, a legitimate matchup, such that we can't get Tony Ferguson um, in against Khabib, or you know Tony's waiting for Connor, and Connor obviously is not that excited about Tony. And if he is, he's not talking about it. So, so anyway. That's uh, the McGregorization of uh, the UFC and, and what I think about that. I'm going to try to get through these uh, next topics really quickly. We are now we are 54 minutes in, so I'll try to wrap this up pretty quickly. I don't want it to be longer than an hour. Um, Anderson Silva's legacy. Anderson Silva pops for another group of two different steroids, which I don't remember. If you care, you can find that on bloodyelbow.com but I um, I don't uh, you know it's very sad the stupid things that he's saying you know when he starts talking about relating it to God and things like that which it has nothing to do with religion has nothing to do with why he popped for steroids and guidance and all this other crap is that again he ingested something and I get it And I'm going to give you my personal opinion on this, and you can take it, or you can pitch it and throw it away, do whatever you want with it. I believe that Anderson Silva never did steroids until he got beaten up by Chris Weidman once, then broke his leg the second time. Pardon me, I'm taking a drink here. I'm getting a little parched, as you might imagine. I'm not an Anderson Silva fanboy or apologist or anything along those lines, just an admirer, Um, and I don't believe that he's been taking steroids all along, and I have absolutely zero proof about that. I have no proof that that's the case. I'm just telling you what I think. I don't think he was a steroid user. I think that he became a steroid user as a result of to get his manliness back and feeling good about himself after getting beat down by Chris Weidman the first time. And then he popped after the second fight uh, when he broke his leg. So one of those two fights, I believe, is when he started, and I and uh, I can't prove that. Now, um, now uh, Anderson has tarnished his legacy to where people will put an asterisk next to his accomplishments like they will John Jones because Jones I think a little bit more shady, shadier of a figure and I don't know I don't think I don't think John has been doing uh, drugs his whole career either I think and when I say that I mean performance enhancing drugs I think that's something that came around after and I don't know exactly when he started well obviously I don't know when he uh, exactly when he started but I don't have the feeling that John had been doing that all along I believe it's something that he came that he came to um, a little bit later in his career I don't know that he was juiced up but I, I don't know I, I'm just it's just a feeling but I know you know I, I can't stand either of them anymore um, and they deserve what they got because, you know, again, a lot of people talk about tainted supplements. You have people like Uriah Faber, who doesn't even use supplements at all, um, and was very successful in his career. You have people like Baral, you have people like Jussier, you have people like Ben Askren, who has never tested positive for anything Um, other than smoking weed or something like that, which is ridiculous. Um, Not a performance-enhancing drug. You have people like Cormier, who's been tested through the Olympics and through his entire MMA career, has never popped positive. You have Claudia, who's like a fitness fanatic, uses supplements, never tested positive. Sarah McMahon, you could go on and on and on. With fighters that have never tested positive Including George Who I think paid to have Have himself tested for uh, The Johnny Hendricks fight you could go on and on and on With people that have never tested positive So I don't buy the tainted Supplement Crap I believe I don't believe John uh, Was not Knowing in, in what he was taking With the dick pills And if he did then it was as a result Of the cocaine and not being able to get it up whatever I, I still I don't believe anything that that John says and I don't believe Silva and Silva created a very clever little cute little narrative to make his fans feel good uh, when in fact he knowingly took this stuff I'm sure so I don't buy the tainted supplement crap um, so that's that uh, about Anderson Silva and unfortunately we're not going to look at his career the same way that we did fantastic as he was, skilled as he was. He started into MMA quite late and had we seen the Anderson Silva that beat Rich Franklin go against Chris Weidman, I maintain it we might have a very different outcome. Um, And a lot of it was in Anderson's head and how he chose to fight and how he wanted to be fight like Roy Jones Jr. and it worked on some people until it didn't work anymore when he was 39 years old and and um, he wanted to fight like Roy Jones Jr. against Weidman. And, and it was a, a game of inches that Weidman caught him with that shot when he was trying to lean back and just really stupid idiot stuff when you could be literally throwing combinations of punches and kicks and he could have taken Weidman out. But he decided not to and he paid the price. Uh, moving along along GSP's future, I happen to agree with all the other analysts out there. I do not think that GSP will fight Robert Whitaker. I don't think it's a good fight for GSP. Um, he didn't look good at that weight to me. He looked very slow. He looked very deliberate. He's a 170-pound fighter, and um, I don't think he would do well against Robert Whitaker. He would probably get uh, not be able to take him down and get beaten up on the feet with some excellent striking that Whitaker has. Whitaker is the way he survived Uel Romero. Kicking his knee off is just something that I, I can't, I can't fathom how incredible that young man is after he got kicked in the knee that many times by uh, Yoel, and then actually won that fight. I'm just amazed. Um, Nate Diaz, we already talked about him. Um, not worth 15 million. Not gonna. Um, these are my notes. Not gonna provide fruitful for the UFC. Volkan Ozdemir, the next uh, light heavyweight fighter set to fight um, set to fight Daniel Cormier. For the light heavyweight title, or at least rumored, Cormier is trying to get that fight made. He wants to fight this young man, this knockout artist. Larry believes with the intention that it's an easy fight. Um, Larry and I will never agree on the, uh, the psychology of fighters. I don't, well, I, I shouldn't say that fighters don't necessarily want an easy fight. Daniel Cormier is not thinking that Alexander Gustafsson is going to beat him, and that's why he's calling out Ozdemir. He's calling out Ozdemir because he wants to fight somebody new. And it makes sense to me why he would do that. But when you're a professional fighter and you're out at uh, midnight or 2 a.m. or whatever time he was out with your girlfriend at a bar in Fort Lauderdale, the rules of nothing great happens after you know midnight or 2 a.m. applies. If somebody comes up to you, some meathead, and wants to fight or wants to act like a tough guy or bump into you and be disrespectful, when you are somebody like Volkan Ozdemir, you know, a highly ranked light heavyweight in the UFC, training Dutch kickboxing with Henry Hooft and, you know, and had a number of fights and knocked out some of the best guys in the world, you don't need to get in a fight with some guy at a bar that thinks that he's tough and wants to act like a meathead it's probably drunk at whatever o'clock in the morning. And then when his friend comes outside and says, Who beat him up? You want to go hit that guy. I'm not going to chalk it up to English. I'm not going to chalk it up to any of that crap. Ozdemir was either drunk or he wasn't. I don't know whether he was drinking. I'm sure he was. I hope he was if he's out that late. And somebody hit on his girlfriend. You know, you tell the guy, Look, I'm a professional fighter in the UFC. I could hurt you really bad. I'm not going to. I'm going to turn around and walk away. You can say what you want. It doesn't bother me. I know I could take out you and probably all your friends. So, But I'm going to walk away right now. And that's probably something like what he should have done in whatever his version, the Swiss version, his Swiss version of English is. But knocking a dude out and then knocking his friend out is really stupid that he did, and, and unfortunately, he de- you know he deserves it. Uh, and unless you know, I I would just say he just des- You know, when you're at that level, there's really nothing to prove. You know, even most of us that train jujitsu, you know, would feel more compelled to want to prove our manhood than this guy should, being a highly ranked UFC light heavyweight. Um, we shouldn't you know, we shouldn't feel compelled to, to show our manhood, but I could see how we would. I don't see why he, why he did, so, um, and he's gonna really, really pay the price for it. and I'm really sorry to hear that. Moving right along. Um, Dwayne Bang Ludwig uh, said on Twitter something very stupid that shows that he is as much the elementary school figure as is Cody Garbrandt or or Uriah or anybody else involved in this thing. Probably the most mature person is probably T.J. Dillashaw uh, out of the whole group of them. But when you say, when you've seen Uriah Faber's last performances and how inept he's looked at MMA at this age, um, other than Brad Pickett, you know, who is over the hill himself and retired, and you want to say, oh, yeah, I, I think that fight could make sense, I, I, I'd like to have that fight, you make me laugh and you make me think you're an idiot because there's absolutely zero reasons to make a fight between Uriah Faber and Dillashaw unless you want to tell me, Dwayne Ludwig, that you are as much of an elementary school figure as the rest of the players in this saga of Team Alpha Male and, and Bang Ludwig fighting systems, whatever the hell you call it, that you want to see your Uriah Faber go out there and get completely outclassed and embarrassed by TJ because that's exactly what we know would happen and you know would happen. That is really stupid and ridiculous. And I don't know if Uriah is down to go get another pay- payday. Maybe he is. And if he does and he wants to sign the line, the dotted line, that's his business. But you calling for it makes me respect you less. Now, if, if Uriah calls for it, well, you know what, and all's fair in love and war. But that is just stupid and ridiculous, because Uriah Faber is in no condition. His skills have diminished to the point where it would not even be, it would not even be competitive between he and T.J. Dillashaw, great as Dillashaw is. So, and last but not least, uh, Colby Covington. All I have to say about this is... I hear what you're saying. Um, You know, Fabricio comes up. You know, he was down in... um, Or he was in Australia... uh, To watch the fights at the UFC's invitation. And Fabricio Verdum comes up and hits him. Punches him in the face to some degree. I don't know how hard. And then hits him in the face with a boomerang. Throws his boomerang at him and hits him. I... Well, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with Fabricio's behavior. If you're Covington and you want to tell me that you're going you're gonna to talk trash, you're going to say whatever it is that you want to say, and then you want people... And you're a professional fighter, a tough guy, calling people animals. In any venue, in any situation, when you talk crap about people... They want to hit you back, whether it's on the street, whether it's in school, whether it's in a club, whether it's in the library. You go and you talk bad about somebody's country, whatever it is, they're going to want to hit you, and if you're a fighter, you should kind of be okay with that, kind of be okay, that you might have to defend yourself, you might have to put your hands up, you might have to move around, you might have to keep somebody like Fabrizio between getting close to you but to stand there with your hands down or whatever happened and get hit in the face you know its probably not probably not good you know probably not smart on his, on his part when you know that you've incited people and you know everybody knows how nationalistic the Brazilians are it's one of the things we love about them they're very loyal to their country and their fellow countrymen and women So I I think that was a very bad move on the part of uh, Colby Covington. And I think he will pay a price for that. Um, In the the court of public opinion, you don't go and say, oh, I'm going to call the cops and all that stuff and, and have them come. When you're a professional fighter who has talked smack on this particular person's country and you're in his presence, you know how he is, you know he's very gangster... From uh, Fabricio Verdum, and uh, I would never talk crap about him because I know I'd have to defend myself if I talk crap about Brazil. And he knew who I was. He would probably approach me, and I wouldn't be surprised if he slapped me around just the way that he did him. So, um, if I if I did and I saw him, I would try and avoid him if he was close to me. And I was, you know, and I had the skills to uh, defend a. A punch, I'd get my hands up, I'd move around, whatever, you know, but I'd be prepared. And if I was a professional pugilist, I definitely wouldn't be calling the cops. So, bad on him. Thank you very much, everybody. I know it was long winded. You got to hear a lot of me. I wanted to give you my thoughts on a whole number of UFC news topics um, and get back into uh, podcasting. Now that I'm going to be separated from my mates in Florida, it'll be a way that that we can connect and and keep talking on a regular basis. Something that I I look forward to. I love uh, all the guys at uh, Gracie Baja, my family there, and uh, all the folks at uh, you and the Matt Yoga, and um, and I'm I'm glad to be back on air. Hopefully we can we can uh, keep it going, keep it steady, and uh, keep a steady diet of good. UFC talking opinions and uh and guests coming on so we'll make a reattack on it uh, after I get to Florida and get settled in and started at my new job so I love you all thank you very much for listening to MMA BJJ in life and uh as I uh as appropriate I call this the on the road podcast part one as uh my hero of uh of on the road, Charles Corralt, the the late Charles Corralt, who uh, pioneered that show back in the 70s on the road, I'll say, uh, I always wonder what's up around the bend.